Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. There's been an advent of new political parties, and, and, and that really, for me, is a sign of a healthy democracy, right? But who are these people hoping would vote for them? And it seems like a lot of our new political parties are contesting for the mind share of the 14 million unregistered voters that live in this country. The question is, do they have a value proposition enough that will get somebody who's never bothered to vote or even to register to vote to actually get up this time around? I think it's a high threshold that they need to hit. And are the new prospects attractive enough to those South Africans? That's effectively the question I'm asking this evening. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Setembele Mbete, uh, who's a political analyst as well as Kotsefetsi um, Shikane, author of uh, Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation. Uh, good evening, Dr. Mbete. I want to start with you this evening as we open up this conversation. 14, you, you work with young young minds all the time. You, are, you get to the heart of understanding why people vote the way they do, why they act the way they do, why they exercise and make use of democratic institutions the way they do. Uh, perhaps you'll have an answer as close as possible to the truth of it, however speculative it may be. But why do we have 14 million people who just never bothered? Hi, Oliver. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, look, I think what's really interesting in South Africa is that South Africans are highly politicized, right? And we talk about politics a lot and we engage in politics. But what we've seen over the years is people being very distrustful of the formal political institutions like elections and like voting and choosing to engage informally in politics. So South Africa has a protest every day. Uh, we have protests in this country at least 360 times in a year. Um, we have at least 360 protests, I mean, um, in a year in South Africa. And we've had this over the last uh, over 15 years. And so we, you know, the level of protest is an indication of political um, engagement and, and activism. Uh, however, people don't trust the formal political institutions to get anything done for them. They don't trust that their voices will be heard through formal institutions or that there'll be a response from government through uh, the formal institutions. And so I think that what we've been missing and what um, many of the established parties are missing is how to encourage and make people enthusiastic about engaging in politics through formal means, uh, starting most importantly with the vote. And so the 14 million unregistered people, many of them are like, well, what's the point of going out to vote? What's the point of engaging uh, through uh, the election? Because I don't trust that it's going to really make that much of a difference. What what does that look like? Uh, is it like a Donald Trumpian anti-establishment messaging campaign that says, look, I am not the establishment, but vote for me. And then you become the establishment. How do you how do you how do you make them see electoral politics as not just exclusively formal institutionalized politics? Well, I think that what you need to do is you need to make the case that engaging through electoral politics can be effective. Uh, and I think that you need to make uh, a case that says that 
you know, the formal political institutions aren't just a waste of time, that they can be used uh, for good, that they can be used to bring about meaningful change. And I think if you look at our track record, for example, in our parliament, where many of the um, of, of big investigations that have happened in Parliament have actually been triggered by small parties. If you think of the arms deal investigation was triggered by Patricia DeLille when yeah. she was a PAC MP, um, which was a small party in Parliament. Then even the Palapala investigation that took place last year was triggered by the ATM, right, which is a tiny party in Parliament. And so I think part of it is showing what it actually means and what can happen when a party is represented in Parliament. Yeah. Uh, Kotsi, I want to bring you into the conversation. Kotsi Veti uh, Shikane is the author of uh, building, Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation. Uh, in your book, you speak about the saviors of youthful politics, right? And of course, this is in relation to the Fees Must Fall advent of politics. But that notwithstanding, you still have all these young people uh, on the outside of political participation, at least in the formal sense, uh, or while you have new entrants into political representation, such as youthful leaders. If you look at parties like the EFF, parties like now Raizam Zanzi, even ATM, it's young people who are the face of those parties, yet seemingly don't necessarily attract youthful confidence to the extent that they can activate, I don't know, 5 million at minimum uh, new-time, new first-time voters to be able to vote for them. Uh, do young people not trust other young people? <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Oliver. I really appreciate it. Um, I think the difficulty that newer parties in particular or parties being led by young people who are trying to get young people to vote for them is that they hit two particular problems. One is voter loyalty in the country, and the other one is voter fluidity, right? So voter loyalty is your ability to change someone who traditionally votes for one party to the next party, right? And the problem, or maybe not a problem, but the situation that happens in our country, even with young voters, so young people who do engage in voting practices, is that they're willing to vote for another, for the same party they voted for before, right? So you have that general challenge of the young people who are voting are likely to keep voting for the same party. So they most likely aren't going to get those individuals. What they're really looking for is of the young people who are actually voting, who are fluid, who are willing to shift parties. And that number isn't as large as you would think it is. South African voters, even young ones who are voting, are quite um, forgiving of parties, right? That they are willing to vote for a party even if they don't meet their needs. Now, gaining those voters will be quite challenging which is why there's this new renewed interest in individuals who haven't voted in the past before, therefore they hadn't registered or they recently registered to vote. How do you engage them? And that becomes a difficult activity. But the benefit of it is that if you do hold them and if that voting pattern holds, you get to keep them for the next two, three election cycles. Um, unless you're the EFF, they're the one big exception to this rule. Right. And, and I think, new parties are now witnessing this opportunity. I mean, 14 young million voters is a huge amount of individuals, but they're not homogenous. They are not the same. Um, you can't tackle all of them as if they are all willingly come to you 
to join you in the in the promised land, essentially. And I think that's the struggle. Now, what that message is to get this heterogeneous group of 14 million voters, I think that is, is the big difficulty that parties are going to have and have to face and have to kind of comprehend over the next election season. And I don't think any party has truly figured it out. Whether it is a Trumpian populist voice, we see that is very popular in getting people to protest. But whether that means someone trusting you to be in parliament is a completely different matter in and of itself. So I think it's a very big, tall order for the newer parties, but it's one that has to be embarked upon because it's the only new type of voters they can kind of reach into. Yeah. Stay, I want to bring you back. Is it true what Rikotsevetsi says about how political parties approach young people? They just assume... They're young. They all have the same issues. Therefore, if we just use a couple of catchphrases, they'll come and vote for us uh, and wrongly treating them as a monolithic voting block uh, and that they have diverse issues, diverse decision making processes um, and approach political decision making differently. Therefore, you can't treat young people as as a homogenous group. Uh, is, is, is that true? And do we have a sense of laziness in thinking on part of political parties in how to attract young people? Is, uh, do they, d- does none of them have a, a, an attractive value proposition? Well, I think that there's a, there's a treating young people as homogenous, but also treating the interests of young people as being automatically to vote out the ANC or to vote out whoever the, 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 the dominant party is in wherever they are. So to automatically vote out the ANC uh, nationally or to vote out the DA, for example, in the Western Cape, and that, and that um, young people will automatically uh, just want to do that, and that's their primary or only interest um and and that what that does is that it blurs uh, the complexity right of the lives and the and the challenges that young people face and i think that what it also does and what's also happening is an expectation that young people will want to have the same kind of relationship to political parties that older people have. Uh, and I always like to use the analogies of, you know, do you think of being a, of, of party allegiance as a marriage or as a bus? Uh, so if you think of it as a marriage, you are tying yourself to this political party for a very, very long time. Um, and you'll go through, you know, hardships and deep commitment uh, to this party for its own sake? Or do you think of it as a bus, that you get onto this bus to take you to a certain place, but if you realize that the bus is going into the wrong direction, or you're not happy with the way that the bus driver is going, when you get to the next stop, you can get off the bus and wait for a new one um, and get onto another one. And so this idea of voter choice um, in political parties, that you're not committing yourself uh, to a particular party as an identity for the rest of your life, but that you are making choices around your needs and your preferences at a given time or at a particular point in time. And I think that if political parties were able to engage with young people's particular interests, particular needs, and understand that they will evolve and they'll shift over time and that they'll be different in different contexts, then they perhaps could make political messaging that was more relevant um, to young people and that may uh, young people want to actually engage in the electoral process. Yeah. Give us a call. I'd like to take your reactions to the 0614 for your WhatsApp voice notes, voice notes and our line is 86 Let's take a quick break. 
SABC2 brings you scintillating music specials every Sunday. So kick back and take your front row seats to some captivating stars of our time. From Ed Sharon, Bruno Mars and Justin Timberlake, we are sure to reveal your inner pop star every Sunday at 8.30pm only on SABC2. It is four minutes to the top of the hour. I'm in conversation with Dr. Stemblembete as well as Rikots of Etsy Shikane. We're talking about political parties and the value proposition to young voters. Can they activate them and get them to go to the polls? Um, there's a certain uh, language with which uh, legacy political parties speak about politics, Rikots of Etsy. Uh, and younger political parties seem to want to adopt the language of a new politics or an alternative politics that doesn't really, uh, you know, speak to the nomenclature of, of, of parties like the ANC, the Democratic Alliance, and to an extent, even as a third biggest party, the EFF being, you know, a, a break away from a legacy institution. But if you look at other newer parties, such as the Patriotic Alliance, um, uh, Action SA, and parties like uh, ATM to an extent, and maybe even, uh, although we don't have much data sets on their political speaking just yet, uh, Raisa Mzanzi. Is that difference in political language enough of a separation to, uh, you know, activate people who were, uh, you know, dissatisfied with how the ANC and the DA and the EFF framed politics altogether? Yeah, no, I think that's an important question. I, I think the shift in language in particular is a sign of a growing disinterest in traditional approaches of thinking about politics in this country. And not because those traditional approaches are particularly boring, right? The rhetoric of the ANC and the EFF and the DA still pulls in large amounts of voters. But it's also an understanding from younger voters that well, the status quo hasn't really changed our situation in any particular way. It hasn't fundamentally moved the dial. It hasn't changed my day-to-day lived experience. And the language of new parties opens up that ability to change your day-to-day experience. But it also is the advantage of new parties that they don't have legacy promises or a long-standing ideological standpoint they need to reaffirm to that newer parties can adapt to newer challenges, newer problems, and therefore they adopt that language, right? Whether that is more populist, almost nationalist language that might come from Action SA when it comes to certain issues, whether that is Ryzen Zanzi's focus on you know, young people are the voice of tomorrow, that today I, I think their slogan is um, 2024 is your 1994, this idea that you are the catalyst for change. A party such as the DA or the ANC can't use that rhetoric, right, because they have to be held accountable, at least internally, to the old promises that they made, the long-standing policies that they put into place, and a consistency of having been in governance. And that yeah. becomes another huge factor in itself. You are listening to Oliver Dixon on the Station of the Year.